it's actually. APB, American Protection Bureau, voted number one best on Long Island for all your security needs. Call 631-390-9050. That's 631-390-9050. APB. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence. Collision Specialist. 631 261 6420. That's 631 261 6420. Auto Excellence. Jimmy, I gotta take a dump. What? No, I mean, I need a dumpster. <sighs> well, for all those needs, you need to call Big V Dumpster Rental, Long Island, New York, 631 900 Dump. Elm Logistics, for all your logistic needs, call 631-299-3595. That's 631-299-3595. Elm Global Logistics, pride, performance, and partnerships. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. Tired of that same old, same old breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Same old tasting scrambled eggs, burger, that dinner steak, ribs, or pork chops. Why not add a little bit of spice or just a touch of heat to make the difference? Change that scrambled egg with a little bit of Johnny Fabulous's John Cena Sr.'s Million Dollar Jalapeno Hot Sauce. Great on burgers, steaks, chops, and those barbecued ribs. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage. Ask for Jack. Do you treat your dog as part of the family? <laughs> well, so do we. So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info, and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut, Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J, video games and collectibles.
Ho ho, everybody, welcome to another edition of This Week Wrestling Remembered and the show that takes you back to the glory days of pro wrestling and, you know, not as much controversial as controversy as there is this year, uh, this time around, but uh, what a week in wrestling, I got to tell you, though. I'm your host and moderator for today's show, Joe What a Day Lowry, and I'm joined, as always, by my esteemed colleagues here. Uh, first up, let's go to Round the Horn. We have the president of Thursday nights, the incomparable Mr. Phil DeCesare. Phil, welcome. Thank you. Wrestling fans around the corner and around the world, as Seamus might say, what's the crack? How you doing? <laughs> great, great, great to have you. Moving around the dial. Next up, he is the brother from another mother. He is the resident poet laureate, as I like to call him. Let's welcome the player, Mr. Benny Scala. Welcome, player. The Thursday night delight, straight out of Playerville. There you go, there you go. Next up, you know, you might see, you might, you might catch this guy playing snake eyes out back for a measly buck, but you know him as the referee of the thirty and the moderator. Let's give it up for ESO Bruce. What's happening? What's going on, guys? Just remember, points are always in play, so you better watch out and be on your best behavior. As demonstrated last night. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, a lot of good stuff. Welcome to the show, guys. As you know, I did go to high school at Missy Beefcake, so I just want to get that out there. That's come on, come on, where is he? Where is he? You know, so this week's topic—it's a great one. Pro wrestling managers, greatest managers. We either loved them or we hated them, but one thing always stood out about them is that they could always talk on the microphone. You know, some were former wrestlers. Some, uh, that way they could take that bump. I know a couple of them that used to take the bumps in and outside the ring. Some were just great character actors who uh, just kind of fit right in with everybody. But, um, you know, they could sell their protege with a single sentence, all the good stuff. Now, obviously, we're talking greatest managerials. If we talked the entire list, we'd be here till next week. So we're going to try and narrow it down to 60s, 70s, and 80s. If we can touch upon later on, we will. But after all, this is wrestling remembered, and we want to go back to the, the glory is of pro wrestling and all that stuff. We want to welcome everybody in the chat. Thank you for tuning in. I think I saw the boss, Imani, was in there as well. Maria, Beth, everybody, Ja Will, Foxhole, Willie, everybody, they're all there. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do us a favor while you're at it. Hit the share button, subscribe, like, like us. You know, invite we, your friends too. Yeah, Jeez. invite your friends. You know, we're here, we're here. So Anyways, all right, guys, who wants to kick it off? You know, let's 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 go back to yonder yesteryear. Um, Benny, you had forwarded me an article you did for Pro Wrestling Stories uh, a little while back, which emphasized on these three right here, uh, Bobby Davis, Wild Red Berry, and Homer Adele. What can you tell us about these guys? Because this is well, way before I mean, my time. Well, so I became a fan in 1968. These guys were the managers in the World Wide Wrestling Federation. Um, I want to tell a quick story about Bobby Davis. He was the first manager that I ever saw. Um, and he managed at that time, a gentleman, I think his real name was John Quinn, but he wrestled in the WWF as Virgil, the Kentucky butcher. Oh. And um, so, you know, the, the usual formula. So that, you know, that butcher goes through the prelim guys. Now on TV, he wrestles Arnold Scolan, who's Bruno's manager. And so uh, I think he, he Butcher's finishing hold was the pile driver, which he called the whammy. The whammy. So he, he, he <laughs> gives the whammy. <laughs> whammy. He gives the whammy to Skull. It sounds like a, like something the good humor man would have. You know, <laughs> try this whammy. Um, yeah. <laughs> he gave Skullin the whammy. You know, and then as Skullin is being carried out in a, on a stretcher, 
both uh, Davis and Butcher upend the stretcher and Skolin, I mean, he was still in the ring. I mean, literally flew over the top rope uh, and landed on the concrete floor. And then the next week, uh, Ray Morgan, who was the announcer back then, I mean, some of the older people might remember him, great announcer, always had the coffee and the black, black coffee and the cigarette burning. Um, <laughs> but Ray Morgan said, okay, fans uh, uh, gave the address of White Plains Hospital to send uh, postcards and letters oh, to uh, to honor Skull. And it's really funny because we had Davey O'Hannon uh, on our pod, Dan and Benny in the ring one time, and he said, oh, yeah. you know what? I sent a letter to White Plains Hospital for uh, for Arnold Skull. And so, I mean, that's the impact of these managers. And, of course, the, the garden was a sellout oh, for yeah. uh, Bruno and the Butcher, and that's what the manager did. The manager got enough heat where, you know, it, it, that the, the, the ultimate – goal was that that madison square garden match with bruno unless yeah. uh for the championship and it almost always was a sellout the other two guys were great too homer odell wasn't in he he managed um like post world war ii nazi or something like that what was that all about it was uh, i think he did that gimmick in the mid-atlantic maybe almost, or, uh, almost like a sergeant schultz type thing yeah he didn't do that he managed bull ramos uh very bull briefly ramos. and uh yeah and uh, bull, again bull and Bruno opened the new Madison Square Garden, I think, in 1968. You oh, know, yeah. Bruno won with the backbreaker, and they, they, they were both gone after that. And Homer Odell went that think that went to Mid-Atlantic. While Red Berry was a mainstay for years, uh, before he was a manager, he was a, a, a great junior heavyweight champion, NWA. I think he held it like four or five times. Great talker. Always wore that that the hat, the, you know, the, 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 yeah. the, uh, the Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, looks good on you, hat. And uh, – <laughs> But managed he managed Monsoon, I think, after Davis. He managed Hans Mortier, who was a great German heel. Now, Benny, uh, I was obviously I don't mean to interrupt you, but obviously I wasn't around back then. Were these guys active on TV as well back in the yes. day? Were they I mean, okay. active as far as like as far as inter intervening in the matches or no? Just being. Uh, did you see him every week on TV? Oh yeah, I mean there was a, the, you know they had the the ringside it was the ringside interviews with Ray Morgan sure. and okay. any of the heels. And even with uh, early Vince McMahon, same thing. You always had the, the heel and you had the manager. Right. It's It, it was very formulaic. And, wow. and to piggyback on Joe's question, Benny, did the managers back then make it to the house shows or were they just strictly TV yeah. pre uh, uh, presence on TV? You know, that, that's a really good question. I would say probably not. Now, I will say I remember back in the day, like the Wizard or Albano, yeah. Uh, whoever Bruno was facing, yeah. they would walk to, to the ring with their, you know, their, their charge. But once the, uh, you know, once the bell rang, they actually yeah. left. Yeah. They yeah. They were not, we... was, there was, you would not see like an Albano or a Blassie, like in the, in the seventies, you would yeah. not see them interfere in a match. Every rear at the garden, Phil, growing up, did we see these guys? Yeah, I know. Captain. Yeah. Oh yeah. The triumvirate, the very three wise men, the three yeah, wise men of the East. Yeah, yeah. Very rare did you see these guys in Boston. If you did, um, it was a special attraction because I think I, I can count on one hand of the ten years that I went to all the Garden matches. I, I think I've only saw Blassie and Albano once. Yeah, and the I Wizard. Never, never I never saw the Grand Wizard. I never saw him. Yeah. You know. I yeah, mean, I, I don't think he did. He, I think he did the Garden uh, MSG and and. Uh, Maybe an occasional appearance elsewhere, a big show, but yeah, 
he was not a traveling manager like the other guy. Like the other guy. Now, their guy. And, Eso, uh, did you uh, did you see anybody at the old TV tapings? You oh, absolutely, I, absolutely. I got to see. Well, you guys didn't get to see Lou Albano. I got to see Lou Albano pretty frequently because he lived in uh, in Highland, New York, which is right across the the bridge from uh, from yeah. Poughkeepsie, New York, where you know that was one of the one of the home taping grounds. Um, now I, I've seen. I, I pretty much uh, everybody from the early '80s uh, up until about '87, '88, when they stopped doing the TV tapings there. But no, I, I got to see the debut of Elizabeth. Oh, the uh, I, I've seen Bobby the Brain Heenan, Jimmy Hart, Slick. Uh, yeah, the, the, ch- the chat is heating up with a lot of good names, and we're going to get. Oh yeah, I see that. that are out there. So, um, sticking yeah. with the Evil Trio, one thing I noticed growing up was. Um, a couple of them at, at the time, only really uh, outside of Captain Lou Albano with the numerous tag team champions he seemed to have. Um, the first one I recall was Ivan Koloff with Bruno, uh, with um, Captain yeah, Lou Albano. Um, so these are some early pictures, obviously. That was Captain Lou's only world uh, champion at the time, right? During during yes. this era. He, he didn't That's manage correct. anybody else. He was like the... Uh, I don't know. What's the word I'm looking for? He always fed backling the challengers. You know what I mean? All these guys. That's what they were there for. So um, can I can I ask guys? Because you sure. were you were around. So Lou Albano, he really was only up in the up in the uh, Northeast territories. It looks like it doesn't look like he traveled around much. No, no he, he pretty he's, much homesteaded. He, right. he, when I first started watching wrestling, he was still around. He was an active wrestler. Tony uh, Altamore, wrestled, right? Uh, With, Tony uh, Altamore, yeah, the Sicilian, uh, right? Yeah, and he wrestled. You know, he he, he was. I mean, he was not even a mid-carder. He was pretty much, you know, he was upper enhancement talent. Right. And, you know, Bruno was the one who said to him, you know, uh, it's like in the movie Caddyshack when uh, Ty Webb said to Al Cervic, he goes, you're not good. You you stink. You know, Bruno (laughs) said that in so many words. And he said, but you're a really good talker. How about I, I, you know, talk to Vince Sr. or Vince about making you a manager. And, you know, obviously the rest is history. Yeah. One of the things, my early memories of Captain Lou Albano, and I, I talked about this when I became a wrestling fan. He was one of the guys that I first saw when I ran home and turned on wrestling. It was the Moondogs versus Tony Green and Rick Martel. And this Captain Lou Albano doing laps around the ring. Going, I'm like, who is this freak of nature with rubber bands in his yeah, hanging out of his oh peak? I know, huh? And, and put talk about the worst blade jobs. I mean, he didn't hide it. He just, you know, give him a scalpel. He's cutting he's cutting open tonight. It's like yeah. and, and he wasted a perfectly good meatball sub. Yeah, no, <laughs> Do you remember that? He slipped on it, yeah, with Morocco, you know. So the captain wore more more food than he ate sometimes. He, yeah. He's a little disheveled. Hey, I got my education from Captain Lou Albano because I was in that. I, I searched high and low for that unborn virgin's goat milk, and I couldn't <laughs> find it. I could not find it anywhere. Um, that was crazy. Moving on with the Grand Wizard now, he did have a couple of champs, Stan Stasiak yeah. and superstar Billy Graham. So he was, you know, he was lucky, fortunate enough to unseat, uh, I would assume, uh, what, Bruno Sammartino here twice, right? Stan Stasiak. Stasiak yeah. beat Pedro. Oh, beat Pedro. That's right. Yeah, and, and then uh, Graham, uh, Superstar yep. beat Bruno. And, Bruno. Yeah. 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 and of course, uh, good old Freddie Blassie. He had to wait a little while, but he did end up getting his uh, champion in the Iron Sheik. When Ayatollah he was Blassie. Blassie. Yeah. Ayatollah Blassie. Yeah, that was – I hated that. I hated that gimmick. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know. That was almost the beginning of the circus time for me with uh, WWF pre-mania and all that stuff. But to me, I think uh, – when you think of Freddie Blassie, how can you not think of Killer Khan? Yeah. He All was right, always dude. in there. 
the legendary Khan and Andre feud right here. Um, he was right in the middle of it. He attacked him on TV. I think that's the first time I shed a tear in wrestling is when they attacked uh, Andre the Giant when he was sitting at ringside. I um, remember. During, during yeah. a TV show and all that stuff. And quick, quick note there. Um, you know, we all know is Killer Khan is the one that broke Andre's ankle. But, you know, stories have told that Andre actually broke his ankle getting out of bed. Um, from what I heard, and that he had that operation done at Mass General. And yeah. the reason he had it at Mass yeah. General is because they were only- Beth Israel. Oh, Beth Israel. They were the yeah. only hospital in the, I don't know, Vince says New England. Now it's uh, the whole entire U.S. that was able to give him that amount of morphine or in, um, Yo, what, Joe, the anesthesia. anesthesia. Yeah, the, that story is they used him as kind of a test pilot, wow. and they asked him, how much vodka do you drink before you get drunk? And right. he told him, I drink a liter and I just start uh, one liter and I just start to get warm a little bit. So they really based a whole anesthesia protocol yep. on that, on, you know, I think on alcohol consumption. Sure. And one of the questions they ask people before they go under now is, you know, yeah. how much do you drink? How often do you drink? Right. How many glasses of wine? How many beers? That sort of thing, too. And uh, so he really was the test pilot in many ways. And uh, yeah, it's a miracle he came out of that. That was probably the most dangerous part of his surgery was that anesthesia. So yep. yeah, shout out to Boston, man. Surgery yep. was performed by Missy Beefcake. That's <laughs> well kept secret. Yeah. I, think I, went, I went to high school with her. I don't know if you guys do. Come on, <laughs> come on, come on. Let's <laughs> um, well, back on just to discuss that. What's that? Oh yeah, there you go. Um, another one that was always around. We talk about Arnold Scolan, Arnold Scalen, or yeah. how you pronounce it. You know, Scolan, was, yeah. you know, baby face manager. I mean, how many baby yeah. face managers were there? I saw him live. It was uh, Mass Superstar versus uh, Bob Backlund. One of one of oh, Backlund's yeah. last, last title defenses at the old Boston Garden, um, and they brought a TV crew out there because they were starting to sell the fact that Backlund's shoulders and all that were. You know, before the Iron Sheik and all that, it was starting yeah. to build the injury angle. And what they did was uh, the mass superstar actually gave the neck break to Arnold Scola, and he got taken off in a in a uh, stretcher at the wow. old guard. And the place was nuts. I've never seen that. I mean, not it was insane how the Garden crowd reacted when Arnold Scola took that outside the ring, and then he got carted off. I mean, the mass superstar needed a police escort just to leave the arena. So that was pretty tough. So, you know, and that's, that's back then when actions like that meant something before it was oh, yeah. like every match, every show, twice yeah. a match. And on the topic of Skoland, yeah. who never interfered in matches, you know, wow. rare did you see interference? The one time that I saw him interfere, yeah. I think Sergeant Slaughter gave him a cheap shot before the match or during the match. Right. But uh, Slaughter had Backlund in the Cobra clutch. Skoland grabbed the chair and uh, whacked slaughter. It was just the wow. craziest thing ever, man. Yeah, and got Backlund disqualified as a result. But you never, ever, ever saw that. that and again, chair yep. shots were very dramatic back then. They really, really they meant something, you know. <laughs> well, the the biggest interference will probably be history is right there in the upper left corner yeah. when he threw the towel in on Bob Backlund um, yep. with the Iron Sheik for him to be to world dramatic. champion. So that was a that was a big deal. I. You know, it was very rare that, uh, to me, I never really saw Scalin or Skolin, however you want to pronounce it, yeah. interfere in any types of matches. So, you know, because he was the proverbial baby face. So, you know, he always did right by the fans and all that stuff. But um, I wonder how he got that gig because he really wasn't needed. I mean, why why did they put him in Bruno and Backlund's corner? I never could figure that out. Wasn't he more of a backstage guy with Vince? Wasn't that He the was, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe that was part of his deal. You know, he could be on on air as you know Bruno's manager, yeah. Backlund's manager. But so of course the '80s uh, a booming away right now, and then all of a sudden we get uh, this guy right here who had tremendous success in the AWA. Oh, the brain needed. Wow. Uh, I'm sure that picture on the bottom looks familiar to you guys. Uh, As portrayed by Mike Monty, the brain of, yeah, um, Monty Vera. But uh, Bobby Heaton was, a, was a, actually a very talented wrestler who could take a bump. Um, watching some of the old matches, even in the AWA, he could fly around the ring. He could take a bump. He could sell it, uh, whether it was the blonde hair flying around or whatever. But of course, he was the, you know, Nick Bockwinkle was a great wrestler and a great talker. Really yeah. didn't need Bobby Heenan, but you had two guys here that were like lightning in a bottle. Whenever you saw Nick Bockwinkle with the AWA title, you always saw Bobby Heenan right next to him. So, um, Bruce, do you remember those days at all? No, not not that those early no. days. I didn't get to, you know, my, my wrestling fandom started up in the, uh, I remember a little bit of the early 80s, but really from about 85 on where uh, the Rocket okay. Wrestling Connection, I was that that kid that they were, they were gunning for. So, you know, yeah. I saw Captain Lou as that, as that cartoon character, and Bobby Heenan was a was a cartoon character, and so you kind of you know, saw Captain Lou when he became a good guy. Then, yeah, I would yeah. have loved to have seen him in the heel days. Obviously, yeah. I've seen him in re reruns and and read about them, but you know, unfortunately, oh, I think, I didn't I think, get I think one them. of the greatest chair shots ever is the one when he uh, hits uh, the Samoans over the head to get Rocky Johnson and uh, Tony Atlas the title. Oh, he hit Afro with the wooden oh chair, and it, and it got stuck on his head. There were pieces yeah. of wood in his hair. I just yeah. thought that was great. But uh, another guy, uh, I'm, I'm just jumping around here. Sir Oliver Humperdinck. This guy had it going on, uh, no doubt about it. Um, he had that stable with Kevin Sullivan back in the day, manager of Bam Bam Bigelow. Why don't you guys fill in the blanks on this guy if you know anything about him? My, my only uh, dealings with him were back when he was in the World Class Championship Wrestling. Yeah, you know, just before he came over to do the WWF as uh, for to manage Bam Bam. Right, right. He I was remember part of, uh, Kevin Sullivan's whole deal in Florida, though, wasn't? Yeah, he? yeah, yeah. What was that? What was that called? The Ministry of Darkness or something like that? Yeah, the Army of Darkness. Is the Army of Darkness. Darkness. Yeah. Exactly. And I do believe uh, a very depressed superstar Billy Graham uh, started the karate gimmick with that outfit too. Uh, down in Florida before he jumped back up to the WWE. That's one of the greatest uh, to me. Like, I mean, I love superstar Billy Graham. Yeah. And I did not like the karate gimmick, but when he got, uh, I guess Sullivan hit him in the eye with a spike. And then, you know, the next week, Gordon Soley pans to this video of uh, superstar Billy Graham laying in the desert. And I don't yeah. know if you guys have ever seen it. If you haven't, you have to see it. And he, you know, he said, I'm going to break the chains that bind me. Oh, and geez. it was just so epic. And what a what a promo that was. One of the first it, one of the first wrestling magazines I bought had a bloody Sir Oliver Humberdick on the cover. Exactly. I was yeah. like, who is that guy? I'm like, yeah. why isn't he in the WWF? He would be later on, but like unbelievable. Something. I think it was a sports review wrestling magazine, if yeah. I it might be that he was on the I remember all the bloody covers for some reason. And my first magazine was a bloody cover, by the way. I guess they look like crime scenes, the, the magazines. <laughs> It might as featured on True Crime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, of course, uh, 1984 comes around, and a guy by the name of Macho Man Randy Savage. He's in the he's on the lookout for a manager and all that stuff. And it was, I think, it was July 30th, 1985, on Championship Wrestling. All of a sudden, we get the debut of the lovely Miss Elizabeth. Uh, no doubt about it. She was to me the first female um, non wrestler wrestling manager. 
Um, she never wrestled. I, I, does anybody know the background on her and how she even got started with with wrestling? Well, she, she and was, Randy met, I guess, at a health club of all things. I think yeah, she, she was, was managing the health club. Okay. What's that? She was a receptionist or something that he went by every day. Yeah, at the health and he club, said, right? Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry her, and you know, he, he ended up doing it. But how do you, awesome. how do you transcend that into being one of the greatest managers of all time? I mean, I mean, she was responsible for Macho Man winning the world title, the Intercontinental title. She was probably the first female performer in the WWF that graced the cover of a magazine in a bathing suit, of all things. Yeah, I mean, this is unknown back then. This was very. Uh, um, not like it is an attitude error, but stuff like that you never saw. You never saw it. All of a sudden, okay, who is this lady? You know, and we didn't know at the time that they were really married back then. Kayfabe was pretty uh was happening, was alive and well. So we didn't know that. Yeah. So you know? this is one of, one of my first whole... wrestling memories was uh because this happened at the Poughkeepsie Civic Center and yep. all the all of these all of these uh managers coming out and yes. uh then he all of a sudden he, he he brings out Elizabeth and the the crowd went absolutely bonkers and uh, you know I'm not it's one of those things I was young I don't remember which parts were from what I watched on TV and which parts were from when I was there but That's it was uh, it was quite a quite a crazy night and then uh, a few weeks later getting to watch it on TV was even cooler of course one no of the biggest, one of the biggest feuds in the '80s she was embroiled in the Mega Powers I mean that was huge so uh, it's, that was it's kind of funny. The people she was never the mouthpiece for the people she managed. They were always the mouthpieces. Right. Yeah. If, if she you was just see there that, looking good, which all yeah. she needed to do. Yeah. And very rare did she make an appearance like at the garden. Although I was there in February of '86 when she just happened to be with Macho Man that night, and so wasn't the Nesson cameras, the New England Sports Network cameras. The night he won the title over Tito Santana. The Is that the brass Santana. knuckles, the reaching, the brass knuckles? It and wasn't, it, it wasn't brass knuckles. No? Because the cameraman picked it up. It yeah. looked like a taped, um, you know, the inside of a, a tape roll, the plastic dub yeah. with just yeah. two. It was all taped up. It was very, um, you could see it in the old videos. Sure. The, the cameraman picked it up and, and it caught Gorilla Monsoon off guard like, wait, there it is. That's what he's holding up. This is what he used. You know, it was supposed to be brass knuckles, but it wasn't brass knuckles. It was like a, a tape holder or something with tape around it. So it was it was kind of neat. It was it was different, that's for sure. But uh, one object though. Yeah. Hey, John's bringing up a great one, and that's uh Percy Pringle into Paul Bearer. Yeah. yeah. Now Absolutely. back in those days, you know, you'd mentioned in Poughkeepsie with the TV taping, you know, there was Mr. Fuji. He was in the ring Absolutely. awaiting to see if he was gonna be uh selected as a manager for Miss Elizabeth. That was a big deal. His obviously greatest protege there was Magnificent Morocco and all those food yep. device videos and all that stuff. Fuji General, remember yeah. that? Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, uh, who can remember? Yeah, Luscious Johnny V. And there he is. I went to high school with his wife, Brutus Beefcake. Yeah, there's, Mr. there's Mr. Mr. Misty Beefcake there. Yeah. yeah. Um, one person that, w that, w that was also in there was Jimmy Hart. He was in there as well. Oh, yeah. Very Classic. successful. With the Hart Foundation, of course, the Honky Tonk Man, and all that, but Slick wasn't around then. He came a little bit later. Um, right, Slick wasn't actually even in that ring. But um, you know, those were just some of the managers that you know that were out there thinking they were going to get the uh, the dibs on Macho Man, but it turned out to be Miss Elizabeth. So that was kind of neat. That was a good little uh, turn for us on TV on Saturday morning because we had no idea who was coming out. I tell you who was a great, great manager, not in the WF, WWF, but very, very underrated. It was Gary Hart. Benny, oh, I swear to God, I knew you were going to say that, and I don't know how. Gary, but I, yeah. yep. 
There Gary just, Williams, Gary Hart. There amazing. are just so many, though. It's like I, I could have spent all day just cutting and pasting and all that. Oh, stuff. yeah. There's just so many. You know, somebody yeah, in the chat mentioned Cindy Lauper. Promos. I mean, can we really count Cindy Lauper as the greatest manager? Oh. Even though it was pretty much a one-off with that one-year contract and all, I mean, that's that's think- debatable in, in a sense. Do <laughs> so you think? Isn't that kind of debatable? It is. It is. It is. I mean, uh, he did manage a, manage a world's champion, though. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> she yeah. did, and and she she was the impetus for the Rock and Wrestling connection. So I think you know, as was Captain Lou. So based on those two things. That gives them points right there, you know. Yeah, I mean, they, they was, were the king and queen of the rock and wrestling connection, no doubt about, no doubt it. about it. Yeah, her, Hulk Hogan, everybody. I get it, Captain Lou. But when you talk about greatest managers, these are people that transcended the sport. So, in a sense, I guess you could say she transcended the sport because, you know, she was part of WrestleMania, the rock and wrestling connection, the war to settle the score. Yeah, between music videos. Oh yeah, all that stuff. Another one that I came to mind that uh, I used to see in the magazines all the time before I got cable was this guy right here, J.J. Dillon. Oh, yeah. Uh, big guy. Uh, I mean, I used to see these guys wrestling Georgia, Black Bart, and Cowboy Ron Bass, and those guys yep. are pretty mid-south area and all Long that. Long Riders, I think, or something yep. like that. Long yeah. Riders, yep. Um, but uh, obviously, J.J. Dillon will be uh, synonymous with the Four Horsemen, the original Four Horsemen at that. Um, so that's kind of neat. J.J. Former was a great Ray. talker. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's funny that he was a great talker for the full horse and when none of them needed talking at all. Blanchard, Rhodes, everybody, they were all great on the mic. Flair. They, I mean, they were these guys were good. Even Barry Windham was great on the mic. That happens sometimes. I mean, how about you know with Billy Graham? Did he really need Grand Wizard to talk for him? Absolutely not. No. No, no. It, it I think it was just more of a um be, well, think about it. If superstar Billy Graham came out to the ring without nobody, he would have been cheered. It was the Grand Wizard who was yeah. the evil wizard. That, that, yeah, that defined you, you as being mean? the heels that so you, you had needed to that, Yeah, okay, you're going to come out with me because we need you to be a bad guy and stay that way. But uh, I mean, there were, I mean, back in the day, I don't know if you guys remember Crusher Verdue. Oh, yeah, yep. Uh, I mean, the guy was, I mean, he had a phenomenal physique, but he had the personality of a brick. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Albano was his manager. And that, I mean, that worked. I mean, Albano did all the talking. You know, he got a, he got a main event with Bruno. He probably got a great payoff. And then he went on his way. So we get some good good comments yeah. going on. Obviously, Mr. Jay, Lewis, yeah, Sherry Martell. I, I was I was gonna I do her. Martell. I was gonna put her up there, but she was kind of late eighties, nineties. Uh, she her her big thing was taking those bumps with Shawn Michaels. That was always a cool thing. Yeah. Uh, then I could have thrown Sunny in there because she managed the Road Warriors as well, the Legion of Doom as they're called then. Um, Eric Bischoff, same thing. I mean, General Andar and yeah, Skandar, Skandar Akbar, Devastation yeah. Incorporated. Devastation yeah, Incorporated. Was awesome. he was awesome. Synonymous with uh, World Championship Wrestling from Texas. Oh, yeah. Skandar yeah. Akbar was a very strong guy, a power lifter, too. Oh, he was, was no he really? one to mess with either. Oh, wow. He was, he was, and he was a very capable amateur wrestler. Skandar Akbar was a really a, a good athlete, believe it or yep. not. Yep. And uh, somebody mentioned the Slickster, Foxhole Willie. Yep, there's a Slickster again right there. With uh, the big boss man and Akeem, formerly the one man gang. What did you guys think of that when the one man gang turned into Akeem? That uh, <laughs> <It> was funny. <laughs> yeah. Did you think it was funny? I just thought because guys I'm such a, I'm so bro. I'm so mm. bro. <laughs> I am such a historian of it. I hate it when Vince started playing with these characters. Like uh, Big Boss Man was what Bubba Rogers or something like that. Big, big, Bubba, Bubba, Rogers, yeah. big Bubba, right? It's yeah. like all of a sudden these guys, like I'm reading them one week in the wrestling magazine as this character, 
And then they show up in, you know, in WWF or they, WWE, I whatever. Mean, one man gang was a yeah. feared heel. And then you, know, you got made into a cartoon character. Same yeah. thing with, uh, you know, boss man. It's crazy. It's crazy. Another mouthpiece that uh, I'm sure people love and hate right now in this industry is, of course, Jim Cornette. Um, yeah. I mean, here's a guy that could talk. There's no doubt about it. My TV sets on Saturday night, Georgia Championship Wrestling, World Class Wrestling. This guy, you knew when he was on the microphone. He had that voice where you just wanted to reach through that screen and, like, shut him up. And right. every, whenever he took the bump, it was the greatest uh, pop, too. It was the greatest pop. He had lots of heat, man. Lots yeah, he, of heat. He did have lots of heat as well. Um, another guy that I threw in here because I think he transcended the sport as well, even though I lied about late 80s. But technically, he did kind of help in the early late 80s. Percy Pringle, Paul Barra. Oh, yeah. Um, he was famous even before Paul Barry was Percy Pringle back in the day. I think my first uh, sight of him was uh, on World Class Championship Wrestling from Texas. Um, he was he had some business going on there or something in the early 80s. Manage everyone from Missing Link to Rick Rude. He had just yep. he had a, quite a collection of people. Yep. So, yeah. yeah. He, he had Rude in Florida. He had Rude in Texas as well. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, he had a really uh, – just, a, I think, a memorable time. I think he scrapped also with uh, the late Chris Swan, Eric. Yeah. He was one of his first uh, opponents, too. And, uh, yeah, wasn't afraid to get in there and mix it up for sure. And uh, a great guy. He was a yep. friend of Boston Wrestling back in the day. In fact, yep. for several years, we had a toy drive that he kind of spearheaded, kind of orchestrated, and was named after him, the uh, Paul Bearer um, toy drive at Christmas. So oh, a yeah. very good guy and, and a great friend of my late friend, Dan Marotti. So love Paul Bearer. I got a sure. couple I got a couple of local guys chiming in over on the Facebook side of things. Sean Wardlow is saying the house of Humperdinck in central states was huge. Oh, I bet. Uh, yeah. That, that is something that I, I I feel I missed out on. I would have loved to see Central States wrestling. I always read about it in the magazines, just never saw it. Yeah. Just never saw it, you know. Um, couple other ones here. Bulldog Bob Brown, the interns, Omar Atlas, Haystacks Calhoun. Uh, all wrestled at Centerville High at one point. Imagine that. Wow. <laughs> what? Go figure. I know Rufus R. Jones came to town. Bruce. He was a big guy. In Bruce's wheelhouse. How about uh, Dr. Harvey Whippleman? Oh, wow. It, Harvey it, Whippleman. Downtown Bruno. Yep, downtown Bruno. Where did he start out at? I, well, he had a long run in Memphis. Memphis. Yeah. Was it Memphis? Yeah. Okay. Bruno, yeah, downtown Bruno. Why do, yeah. I, why do I picture him with ECW? That's so weird. He, he was later on. Oh, he was. Okay, okay. And speaking of ECW, I, I can't miss this guy, Paul Heyman, the man with the cell oh, phone yeah. back in the 80s before <laughs> cell phones were even cell phones, huh? And there he is with the original bloodline on the bottom right there. That's a pretty uh, old photo. Uh, that's a Samoan SWAT team. Yeah. Isn't that uh, isn't that Rikishi? That, that's not even Fatu. That's not Afa and Sika. No, 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 of course not. And like uh, and you know, like Cornette, Heyman started as a photographer at Ringside. Yeah, yeah, but he started up here yeah. in, in the northeast, whereas Cornette was down in uh in ten in Memphis and yeah. uh down there. And uh if you look yeah. real, look real closely, he's doing an interview with uh, Andy Kaufman in a bathroom stall with Freddie Blassie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the reason being is Fred Blassie actually went to bat for him because he, he was kind of found out he snuck into the garden back in the day. Um, he's in all the videos, especially when uh, Pedro regains the uh, Intercontinental title from Morocco. Yeah. He, if you watch the video closely, he's the guy jumping in the middle of the ring, in, in the middle of the um, the TV uh, angle. The yeah. TV angle, he jumped because he, he became a mark. He was cheering as opposed to taking photos next to After and all those guys. 
Um, but I think he was questioned or looked at at one point backstage and Vince said something like, who is this guy? Yeah. And Blassie actually came to his defense and says, oh, he's he's a dog. He's he's legit. He takes photos for the magazines. Yeah, he endeared himself to to the wizard yep. and to Blassie. Yeah, and there's the a picture of that around. Really. I actually have that framed upstairs. I don't know why. See, there's just so many managers to go through. It's I like, know, man. Yeah. You would have to put a 20-minute reel together just on for everybody out there. Um, so I got, I got a question for you guys, though. I mean, sure. obviously, we don't see managers anymore. Um, and do you think it's something that if they brought it back would enhance the current product? No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. See, see it depends on what um, what uh, wrestling outfit you're talking about. Not, today's WWE superstars, if you can't talk on the mic, you don't have a career. You know what I mean? These guys are actors. These guys are more entertainers now as opposed to just being the good looks and the muscle. Like if you look around, like you take a guy like Otis, Otis can talk. There's no doubt about it. He's a big guy, but Otis would be that guy that would need a manager. You know what I mean? But he's not, he can talk. He's very well educated. He can talk. I just, the, the problem is they're so worried about the production, the, the fireworks yeah. and all the other stuff and the, the entrance music and the entrance themes and all, all that stuff. If we brought in managers too, there'd be, there'd be no product left. There'd be all, uh, all, all the show to go before the show. You know, it's well, it's uh, kind of crazy. Uh, I, I watched what's the uh, oh, oh, the wrestler. Uh, I can't remember. His entrance takes over a minute to come in. Uh, 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 shoot the dog. Shoot remember. the dog. On WWE, but it's like, why? You know, we're wasting a minute plus of programming just bringing somebody in. Well, that reminds me, of MVP with Bobby Lashley. MVP would get an intro, even though he was the manager, and then Bobby Lashley would get the intro. So yeah. it's like so. There's two or three minutes right there, and then he has a squash match, and that's the end of it. And MVP it, still did the talking, even though Bobby Lashley is very capable of talking. There's no doubt about it. I just and never both wrestlers that. are all two, all three, four wrestlers. Everybody gets their own entrance too, right? So yeah. it's not like uh, you come back from you know commercial break. Two people are already in the ring, and you have one entrance music, and they come in. Yeah. See, I, I think it goes back to you know the greatest manager managers became great because they were needed back in the day. You had yeah. those wrestlers who could not talk. You had those wrestlers who probably couldn't even wrestle and needed a manager to help you out in that situation. And then again, I think I think of the um, the modern day wrestling van fan versus the the fan back in the fifties and sixties and seventies, where if you turned the TV on, you didn't know who was bad or good unless there was a manager there to tell you either either way. Yeah, that's what the, you know that's what, what defined you. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, Billy Graham is a great example. If he did not have a manager and he came on the scene like he did in 77 as superstar Billy Graham, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour, that's a catchphrase that would have been on every T-shirt. It would have been popular as hell. He probably would have been the, the – there probably be no Hulkamania because he'd probably still be champion. You know what I mean? Th this is what I'm talking about. But you put him with the Grand Wizard, boom, he's hated or he's loved to be hated. It, you know, it, it, it crosses those lines now. You know, so hey, I have a question for you, Benny. Like, you have a, a somebody like a, a Gorilla Monsoon who, even back then, really wouldn't have needed a, a manager if they would have let him if they would have let him speak because obviously the guy was so well spoken and I think he could have pulled off any type of character. Um, you know, or, or like an Abdullah the Butcher, if Abdullah would have spoken, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think he would have been able to pull that, that madman from Sudan gimmick off for all those years, just the way he, he presents himself. He's a funny dude, he's a nice dude from Canada. Not on, yeah. You know. Yeah. So you know, they, how do you feel about like you know those guys? They those guys could talk, but they they never they never really did when they were wrestling. 
Yeah, you got to pardon my my pup there in the background, but I mean, take a guy like George Steele. Now, when George Steele first uh, you saw first saw him in the, in the WWF, he actually cut a very eloquent promo, um, in, you know, very early on, and then he came back a year later, and he was a Neanderthal, mm. and you know, no no meant so and no explanation of how he went from a, a scholar to a Neanderthal, just like there was no explanation of how Monsoon went from you know speechless to now very fluent English. It just, you know, almost you like know, they insulted our intelligence. Well, I think George Steele had that electroshock therapy then. It turned him <laughs> into an animal, and then he had it again, and it turned oh, him back. Right. That was later on, though. That was in the 80s. But he had it He had it again to turn him back, though, is, is what oh, I'm okay. saying, I think. You know? that's, that's Tuesday Night Titans era back then. That's that is that. indeed, yep. I always wonder where those doctors got their licenses from. How oh, now, brown cow? <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Another one that uh, I first saw on World Class Championship Wrestling from Texas was Baby Doll, and then oh, course, yeah. uh, NWA uh, with Ronnie Navarro's uh, guest on Thursday night. Oh, there you go. And of course, um, she's been a what a day guest as well. Obviously, has great um, stories with Magnum TA and that feud with Tully Blanchard and all. You know, I think that was the first time I ever saw a woman um, kissed slash had her uh, dress ripped all in one scene. Um, if you remember that, at, when uh, Tully Blanchard and Magnum T.A. were uh, having a face-off and uh, Magnum T.A. grabbed Baby Doll and kissed her, and the and the announcer's going, oh, my God, he's kissing her, and she likes it, and she likes it. <laughs> David and, Crockett. <laughs> and then he slaps Magnum T.A., and then Magnum T.A. rips her dress. And I'm going, oh, my God, they're showing this on TV. Like, you know, <laughs> nothing compared to nowadays. But when you're watching this at home on a Saturday at night, Going, this is great. I can't believe this, but uh, yeah. And as, and, and as a young boy learning how to approach girls, I was taking studious notes. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do that. Do not Anticip anticipate a do slap. Not, do not rip the dress. That's all <laughs> yeah, Loose Cannon said Missy was a gem. Teddy Long, there's another one. Doom in the skyscrapers. That's a big peanut one. head, as they used to call him back then when he was a, when he was yep. a heel. They call yeah, the I think it's not getting into the manager slash valets. Of course, you got Missy Hyatt, you got Francine, you got Nicola, uh, obviously Baby Doll. Sable was one. Um, who else Sunshine and with Jimmy Garvin, Sunshine, Sunshine and Precious, and Precious. Yeah, they, they were more valets. You know, they they yeah. weren't weren't managers. But they interfered, though. They did of interfere. They did. Of course, they did. They were part of the act. They, they yeah. Great TV time and all of them. You know, it's uh, unbelievable some of the stuff back then. I'm just going through the uh, the stuff here. Let me see. Bobby Heen and Jimmy Hart were great. Re yep. Tony Schiavone was okay. I think they're just talking about Mike's skills now. Because um, I don't remember Tony Schiavone ever managing right now. He was just an announcer. No. No, no. Who we got at? AEW. The dynamic was the, the announcer interviewing. the Like, that's something you don't see now. I mean, they all come to the ring with a mic, and they, they just do their promo where back in the day – I mean, I remember – Gordon Soley sitting at his desk with uh, Harley Race, and they were like yeah. watching a videotape of a match, and yeah. nothing could be more real. I mean, oh, yeah. it's like they were Study breaking the, down the seventh game of the World Series. Studying the opponent, getting ready, getting that upper edge. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they made it so realistic that you wanted to, wherever they wrestled next, you wanted to go there. See, but when you're watching videotape back then, that is like um, streaming to us nowadays. Back then, that was like unheard of. You know, watching a video. Where do you get a video? Who taped the match? First of all, where'd the video come from? You know, things like that. That that to me was like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's like state of the art stuff there. 
Oh, yeah, I like the old Omni Omni too. They would, would they they do the old like reel to reel tapes and then then play yeah. it. Gordon and play it on a Saturday night. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it was taken by a fan. He, I remember him actually uh, thanking a fan on the air for recording. It, you know, very well could not have been a fan. It could have been someone else, but just Gordon thanking the fan for doing this because it wasn't really regular practice back then. You know, it's funny the champions now back then. Obviously, Backlund, uh, Graham, Bruno. It was always a face, really, for the most part, that held the title. So it was these, you know, the Wizard, Albano, um, um, Wizard, Albano, and Blassie that would always funnel the challenges to Backlund and all that. But I was shocked that you know, the tag team titles more or less were held by a lot of ruthless bad guys obviously, uh, managed by Captain Lou. I mean, what is, what is he, over like 20-something tag teams now that he managed to tag team gold? I mean, he holds the record, whatever that, yeah, that final number is. I stopped at 17. Yeah. I was like, um, you know, I think one of his final ones was um, uh, Wyndham and Rotunda leading Malta. You know, was, was WrestleMania 2 they won the titles? Because they yeah, lost yeah, the to WrestleMania or whatever. Yeah, the Bulldogs, I think, was his last one. The Bulldogs, that's what it was. Ozzy Osbourne, WrestleMania 2. That's right. Yep. So, like, why, why did they give Captain Lou all the tag titles? You know what I mean? Like, why couldn't they give some to Grand Wizard or Freddie Blassie and people like that? It, it was funny, though, because, like you said, the WWWF from, for a 20-year period from 63 to 83, you yep. basically had three champions. You had Bruno, you had Pedro, and you had Backlund. You had, and you had Ivan, you had Stasiak, and you had... Uh, Transition um, chains, yeah, and and superstar, superstar was the only one that had it for more than a couple of weeks. But yeah. then the tag teams, they alternated between heel and babyface, and then but the NWA, they alternated their their main title. Now, it would Jay, be on a Briscoe, but then it'll be on a Harley race. Yeah, Jay will got to go when the Rock with the Nation of Domination. Wasn't he more or less in the background during the Nation of Dom- Domination? It was yeah, more. Ron Simmons was out on the front, and uh, yeah, Ron Simmons. Um, I mean, you talk about somebody who should have been in the front, the rock. And he's, you know, we didn't know of course what he was going to be to this day, but um, looking back on it going, boy, man, they could have really capitalized with the rock being, you know, the head of that, but that's how we got to start really when you think about it. Yeah. Well, he, he started to get more and more mic time too. see, you know, he kind of unofficially rose to that position. You know, I know Farouk was often out front and, and rightly so, but, uh, Yep. I, I think Rock was on the rise there, and I think that's part of the reason why he really took it to the next level, you know, yeah, because of that faction, because of his involvement, and because he became more prominent there. Yeah. All right. Who's Marie Antoinette Davis? She was really good. <laughs> Who is that? Maria Davis is saying that. Is she talking about herself? <laughs> I don't know. That's a good question. Maria, you know that was Maria's middle name. Maria Antoinette Davis. She was really good. Wow. Okay, we we'll have to Google that. <laughs> no, wait, don't. We can't. This is a family oriented show. So, um, Missy, yep, Missy Hyatt, yep, she was a gem. I'm just going through the uh, Sable with Mark Merrow. Now, again, that's valet. Really, I mean, could you really constitute that as a manager, so to speak? No, not well, really. She was never well, a mouthpiece. It's a case where the manager kind of eclipses the talent in terms of uh, shine and popularity, you know? You can't say mouthpiece when you're referencing Sable. Come on, will you? (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Um, Gorilla Monsoon, he never managed, right? He was just more of an announcer backstage role. Right. Um, 
just going through the chats here. Uh, Bo James, a.k.a. Jimmy Garvin. The Garvin brothers, Ron and Terry. Yuck. <laughs> Jay Will. <laughs> yep. One name we haven't mentioned, though, was Paul Jones, who he oh, primarily yeah, I, I managed had... in, in Mid-Atlantic, the, you know, the Paul Jones Army. Yep, there's a picture of Paul Jones right yeah. there. Number yep. one Paul Jones. Yep. Baron Von Raschke. Him, they, they feuded with Jimmy Valiant for years in, in, in the Carolinas. Yeah. Who, was, um, AWA. Who do we have in the AWA besides Bobby Heenan that managed? Do we have any other managers in the AWA at the time? Sherry Martell managed Buddy Rose and Doug Summers to a couple of tag no, teams. That was later, not early though, right? This was later on though. That that was in the mid eighties, like eighty six yeah. or so. Yeah, because I think I remember seeing them on ESPN when they got that cable deal. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, I only knew of Sherry Martell when she beat Fabulous Mula for the title, and then for some reason she went into the managerial ranks after that, but could take a bump. I saw her in a steel cage match. Her and Shawn Michaels versus the Ultimate Warrior. Saturday afternoon, I took my son to a steel cage match at the Old Garden. A matinee. Before they tore it down, too. It was like 91 or 92, before it became the Fleet Center. Yeah. um, Nobody there. I would say not even the bottom floor was crowded. That was it. So you didn't sit behind a beam or anything? Nope. I didn't have to sit in the stadium seats. Nope. And um, Sherry took a huge bump off the top of the cage courtesy of the ultimate warrior and i was like oh my god like you could already tell that the attitude era was 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 forming then uh when women like that were taking some serious bumps at house shows yeah we're talking house shows now we're not talking like on tv and all that stuff this is a steel cage match um with uh ultimate warrior and of course um rick um i'm sorry sean michaels and she got in the she got in after the match and something was going on, on the top of the cage and they just pushed her right up. I was like, wow. Well, like, Bobby Heenan used to always say that Sherry could take half the guys anyway. I bet you she could take Sean back then. Too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah, a good one here. He's got a Diamond Dallas Page. You know, yeah, started off as the manager. Yeah, he was right. a late yeah. he was a late yeah. boomer, right? 35. Uh, DDP started. He was late. Yes, yeah. yeah. Thirty-six. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. We would be journalistically irresponsible if we did not throw out the name of John Tolos, Mike yeah. Monty's favorite wrestler, the coach, the coach. Yeah. The there are no bonus points for John Tolos references. Oh, how about the coach? <laughs> not until Thursday, right? I'm still yeah. smart for my seven-point penalty for disrespection. <laughs> Hey, I got to eat my salad early. I'm fine. Ah, <laughs> I was trying to find a picture of John Tolo. See if I could find one. Got to find a coach picture. Yeah, with a whistle. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. There we go. We got that. With Bowen Blake. Bowen Blake. Let me see here. There's a whole bunch of them. So he had a whistle, he said? Here's the championship more into the, into the foreground now. What's that? You got to bring your championship more into the foreground so uh, you can show it off to these guys. Oh yeah, the right here. Oh yeah, let me let me. Pull I'll throw out here. a name that's pretty elusive, Benny. You might get Saul Weingaroff. Yes, he managed a team. The Von might, Yes, he did. There he also is. managed a young Samoan team. Offensive. Look at the title. There you go, the thirty champ, right there. I love it, man. There you go. <laughs> that's that's a sweet strap, Joe. I got a whole bunch of them. I got that's a whole a bunch. Sweet strap. You can mail it to me. I'll tell you. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but Paul Weingaroff was a was a manager of some of some uh, 
some repute for a long time. Oh, yes. Uh, same with J.C. Dykes with the Inferno. Yep, the Infernos. In fact, yeah, they had a little rivalry thing going, too. And I think Saul's son, George, wrestled. He was legally blind, which is crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. But he wrestled in the Poffos ICW with Lanny and Randy and, yeah. and the crew down there. Yeah. I'd much rather be legally drunk. I mean, because <laughs> <There you go. laughs> if it's legal, what's the problem, right? John, John Tolis was called the Golden Greek, right? Yes, the Golden Greek. <laughs> yeah, Babe Ruth before, in the chat. Before Spiros Arion, or, yeah. or as Ernie Ladd would call him, Spirius Arius. <laughs> Getting back to Wild Red Berry, did he let his hair grow out later on in life? Like, didn't he have crazy eyebrows or something like that? Not that I know. Oh of. no, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Wild Bull Curry. That's oh yeah, was. Wild Bull Curry. Wild Bull Curry. What a yeah. legend he was. Yeah. He used to that scare me. That's the guy who scared me in wrestling magazines when I saw him. Like this guy's out to lunch, man. Jeez. And Benny, you guys know his grands. Is it his grandson? You guys know pretty well. We had, uh, we had the rocket. The rocket. Fred Curry was on yeah. the show twice. Yeah. What a good dude. He he really is. Uh, I, good I interview. Go that, uh, that that restaurant he has in Rhode Island. It looks really really. Good. I want to get down too. Yeah. Maybe we'll all get the uh, the Monty and the Pharaoh and Dan and Benny discount. The Dan and Benny discount. I can't encompass a meal. I, just, I want a lobster roll. That's all. I'll I wear want. my T-shirt just to see. I won't say anything. I'll just wear a T-shirt. We'll you know, see. It's funny, when, I was, when I was doing my research for uh, Luscious Johnny V, yeah. I didn't realize his real name was John Sullivan. <laughs> like the fighter. Yeah. So how's this? How's this now, Joe? J.J. Dillon's real name is Jim Morrison. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a trip, man. A little bit yeah. older than the, the 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 rock star, right? I think JJ is about eighty now. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. JJ's up there, but JJ JJ's looked the same for 50, 60 years. Yeah, he was like glassy, like you know. Yeah, his, his high school picture looked like somebody from the the you know the senior home. Yeah. Well, back then people looked older when they were younger too, which is crazy. How, how did that work? I, was, I don't know. Because superstar Billy Graham was like eighty five when I was twelve. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, he was road weary by then. I mean, he he went into a deep depression after he lost the title to Backlund and all that. I mean, I, that, I his autobiography say says it all. Yeah, and I think he was rumored to be dead on like three different occasions too. Yeah, so yeah. that'll be the job he did as champion. I I really think he should have. He was he deserved an extended run. I really yeah, I really believe that. Yeah, if he had it in him though, Benny, that's just it. You know. Yeah. Stars like him shine very bright. They burn bright, but you know they they can I, I burn out. So I, I, I wonder. Six months so out of it at least. Then oh yeah, I thought he's deserving for sure. Yeah, right, no, no doubt about it. I mean, but when he came to the with the karate gimmick and all that stuff, you could just see the wear and tear in his body. And then he went into all those surgeries. They, they you know, he incorporated those real surgeries into storylines. And it was the years of steroid use and uh, the Hep C and all that stuff that he had just really did a number on him. Yeah. And tell. But then all of a sudden he came back. He looked bigger than ever after all that. <laughs> like he, so he got a second wind or something. But especially all those pile yeah. driver music videos and all that stuff. That guy was just as big as Hogan, if not bigger. Doctor George to the rescue. Yeah. One of my favorite storylines of all time revolves around managers, which was when Jimmy Snuka was on Rogers Corner, whatever they called it. And yeah. Buddy, you know, Buddy Rogers oh, buddy uncovered Rogers. the fact that, you know, Jimmy, you have no money. Yeah. And you know, and Jimmy, Buddy, would you be my manager? And I love that, Benny. Yeah. What that was one of the most to me emotional 
I mean, I marked out for that big time. Me too, dude. You, and, we're on the same wavelength. And That's, then when oh, and then man. when they hugged, he squished the microphone that was on Roger's lapel. I'm like, oh, they didn't script this. This is real. This is really happening because normally they would just put the mic over him. Yeah, buddy was wearing the mic or had that. He was holding the mic or whatever. When did that happen? 81, 82 ish. No, that's no. no, I think that was either late 82 or early 83. Okay. It was the first time that I heard Snooka speak ever because he was quiet. Was, he would, he didn't was, say a, peep, a word for very soft spoken, like, too. I mean, it was, yeah, spring, it was the spring of 83 because I went to the October 83 cage match with him in Morocco. All right, yeah, which was so classic. That well, up. he got he got pile driven by his first feud was as a babyface. Ray Stevens, uh, Ray Stevens, yeah, yeah. But he also had a nice little match with uh, Captain Lou at the Garden first. And oh God, that payback, and that's what, what Garden. What that, that was? That was the first time I seen a guy put razor blades on his fingernails. Blew up on him. He did, all he kept doing that, and I'm going, man. holy Jesus, this guy's out of his. But yeah, who's the worst? I think he, either he or Bruno was the worst blader of all time. Bruno was a horrible blader. Well, Bruno wasn't used to blading either. That's the problem, you know. But, I mean, he did blade plenty of times, but he was not very good at it. But you know the thing is about Bruno? What's that? He would bleed ragu. Yeah, but a boom. <laughs> That's awful. He's there a week. Uh, Doc Journey was mentioned as well. She was very attractive. Yep. Uh, genius Lanny Poffo. That's right. He got his start as... Uh, well, he was actually already wrestling, right? He came in and became the genius. Then he started managing later on, right? The Beverly right. Brothers. The Beverly Brothers, yeah. But before yep. that, Mr. Perfect, um, uh, who managed whom? Did Perfect manage Lanny or Lanny manage Perfect? Or were they just a team? I forget. Yeah, but... I don't know. Mr. Perfect, is for me, is always Bobby Heenan. But yeah, I just was shocked that Kurt Henning would leave the WWF and become AWA world champion and then come back as Mr. Perfect. I'm like, you talk about a transformation of a wrestler. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, well, this has been a good hour guys. What do you think? It's been an oh, hour yeah. already. Jeez. Yeah. Any, any yeah. final thoughts on this? We had a good list. We had a good chat. Everything was going good. Everything it it good. brought back a lot of good memories. Yep. It, a lot of good know, stuff here. A lot of good stuff. You know, I mean, I mean how, you know, watching on Saturday morning without Lou Albano or, you know, the, the Wizard or Blassie or any of those guys. I mean, right. how much more did they add to it? They added a lot. Everything. They added a lot. They added a Everything. Lot. I was just, like I said at the beginning of the program, I was just bummed that they never frequented the Boston, the old Boston Garden like the town. Yeah. It just wasn't the same when the bad guys were like, I remember when George Steele would come out. Like, at least somebody like Blassie would try and control him. When George Steele went loose at the guard, he went How loose. did he find his way to the ring? Oh, uh, I don't know. He would, he'd go in the crowd. It was crazy. Huh. Absolutely crazy. Same thing with uh, the Samoans. They had to be guided to the ring by Lou Albano, but all of a sudden, the Boston Garden, they're able to walk out to the ring, no problem. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. So, nah, those are the good days. Those are the good days. They really were. I mean, how, how real it was to us and how we couldn't wait to go to shows. And, I mean... I used to go to the Nassau Coliseum and yeah. I'd buy my ticket for the next month at intermission. Like you can't oh, yeah. do that now. I mean, I, if I go to Emily arena, I mean, if I had gone to the, uh, the trot for uh world rumble, I mean, they won't be there for probably at least a year. Phil, here's a story. I used to be during halftime or intermission. They would tell you the matches for the following month. Yeah. Yes. Tickets, absolutely. tickets will go on sale that Monday at hub ticket. Remember hub ticket. Yep. Right in the corner of Chinatown, Neyland street, all right there. I was on a train after school that Monday going to buy my tickets for the following. That's month. hardcore, man. That's hard. And I would get that guy. I'd make him pull out the seating chart 
which yep. was very rare back then because they didn't yep. have that. And I'd be like, I want to sit right here, and I want this seat, loge two, loge one, all that. And you had to get there earlier, or else they would have been sold. And yeah, I always got those. I always got those seats forever. I was loge one or two. He'd see me coming every month. Oh yeah, they're here. The live experience was so exciting, man. Oh, yeah. It was it was magical, you know. From the it end, it really was. You I mean you just had you heard the hum of the crowd and you knew somebody was coming. You, yeah. You had no no pyro. No. Remember the old, the old ramps going up at the old garden field. Remember that? Yeah. Ramp. It was insane. You. It, it was like the longest walk getting to the to your chair to your seat. But yet when you were leaving, you just went right down and out. It was like, oh my god, that was quick. <laughs> It makes sense too. They want to build up everything, get oh, you yeah. in there, get you excited. Then when it's done, all right, get out. Yep, get to open the floodgates. That's it. You know, but in summary, I want I, my opinion is the managers were just as instrumental, if not more, in selling tickets than the wrestlers. Oh were. yeah, definitely. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah, the wizard's still one of my favorites. He's been gone for forty years or so, yeah, but still has left quite an impression. You know. I think and I was, he never got, uh, never took a bump, and I don't remember him taking no. a bump. Did nope. he ever? Nope. If he, if he did, he would get brushed up accidentally, inadvertently, and that would be a big deal then too, because you'd right. want his turban to fly off or something. You know, you'd want that those was, sunglasses was, to go flying. That was the first real ten bell salute I saw her on TV. Is when yeah, the wizard and Sergeant Slaughter, I think, was in the ring too, and I'm like, well, what happens to him now? Yeah, like, you know, it's like crazy, crazy times. Bill, did you ever see him? I never did uh, see him as Abdullah Farouk managing the Sheik. I've I've, I've never seen that. I, I would love to see if his character was any different. It exists out there. I think he wore more of a fez rather than a turban. You know, yeah, actually, he um, let me see. I think the picture I have of him with um, Billy like Fred Flintstone, the, the water buffaloes, maybe or exactly, yeah, <laughs> uh, right there in the right. He kind of had that. Turban on the right. Yeah, he did. In fact, right. even had yeah, he had more of a squared one too back in yep. the day too. But you know the mystique. I mean, I didn't see a picture of him without his gimmick on until oh, like yeah. five yeah. years ago or so. Yep, yep. It's pretty and, uh, amazing. But I do recall the Sheik and Bruno had a huge cage match at the Garden. I think he was there for that. Was I he? There's old photos of that somewhere online. Um, because that's me. That's what I do on Saturday nights now. Is I go, I go trolling. And I look for this stuff, and you'd be amazed at some of the stuff that's online now. It's we like are oh, fans. I mean, you're I'm a fan. Me. I love yeah, it. That's it. That's it. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us for Wrestling Remembered. Big week coming up, right? I get to defend the title this Thursday on the 30. You can catch that on the Monty and the Pharaoh YouTube channel. I want to thank everybody in the chat. A lot yes, of people tuning you. in today. Uh, chat was very active. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. E40. And of course, um, what do you got? You got true crime this week, Benny, or what do you got? You get you uh, off well, I'm working on the script for the next episode, and I, I wanted to invite you guys again because you were so great with one yeah. of the super and fun I man. To, I love it. Yeah, to, uh, Dr. Sam Shepard. That sounds wicked good. Doctor who uh, became a wrestler and who invented the mandible claw way before Mick Foley did. How cool. I know, huh? Yeah. And, and referee of the, the 30 ESO, you gonna be wearing that shirt Thursday night or what? Absolutely, absolutely. I'll be ready to, to help you guys out. And uh, Joe, if the Venmo comes again, you can you can hold on to that title. That Dan ten percent surcharge kills me every time, man. Come on. I, I think Bruce, you need to like announce like personal foul seven points. <laughs> the player 
for disrespect. You know, just like you have to announce the the, the penalty. No, I agree. I agree. We got to. Right. We've got a lot of stuff, uh, you know, coming up the line. You know, sound effects, a new set. Some it's a little more interactive. So we got. Some, how, about we got in, how about instead of a standing eight count, you get like a you minus eight seconds off each person's time. That's it. Oh, you're out of time. I had 10 seconds. What are you talking about? Better watch out. Phil will come up with something like a pre- uh, presidential referendum for the night or something like that. And, uh, you know what you do? Order, right? Hide the clock on hide the clock and then penalize them if they go over the time. How's that if they get on your bad side? There you go. Hide that clock. All right, guys. Until next week, um, I'll see you guys on Thursday. If anything pressing happens before then, uh, we'll probably pop on at some point. Yeah, Wednesday night. What is it? In Centerville, right? In Centerville, Wednesday night, seven o'clock central, eight o'clock your time. I don't know if you guys are up that late, but uh... (laughs) I struggle to guys. I I struggle to stay up a little later. Yeah, they they give me my warm milk at the home at like six fifteen. So (laughs) that's good. That's good. After after Matlock, I'll uh, and my tapioca. I'll be tuning in. There you go. Just don't take your meds the night before. You'll be all set. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for being on. We'll see you guys next week. And thank everybody for tuning in to Wrestling Remembered. God bless you guys. What a day, Lowry. Until next time, we'll see you guys later. Peace. Peace.